All right, friends, welcome to the On to Something podcast. This is the fourth episode in which we call these Xanalogs. Uh, this will be the last one for this series, and then we will actually be switching to a couple of interviews with people who are in the first third of life. So I would love to know feedback as we go. Uh, in less than like 24 hours, I'm actually going to step away a little bit just to scope out uh, the rest of my life for the spring and also scope out some ideas that may be coming down the pipe. Today's episode, uh, I can say one thing, if you can tell by the title, you need to stay with it because, uh, well, it gets a little weird. And now, on to the pod. There are three things we need to discuss today on this podcast. One, boy bands. Two, God's box. And three, your butt. Let's begin. A boy band. I found myself haunted the other night. After a very long day at work, I found myself streaming a documentary that left me as, uh, how the kids would say, shook. Now, before you start assigning me like accolades and thinking of designating me as your most distinguished and intellectual friend, that I would binge watch a documentary late at night as a form of enjoyment, I need to set the record straight. I'd love to tell you that this was a documentary of a historical significance. I'd love to tell you that it was an in-depth analysis of the complexities and injustices of life. I'd love to even tell you it was a highly intellectual documentary that would make the History Channel blush. But alas, I'm here to tell you that on this specific night, I was, and yes, I dare to say, in my feelings. And there's something that you need to know about Sam Witcher that I need to confess. When I'm in my feelings, I go deep into my feelings. So what I find myself watching on this very night, well, it would only make sense that I'd pull up the documentary of the Jonas Brothers and their journey. That's right. It was pushing midnight, and if you would have found out where I was that night, I would have been curled up on my couch, pounding out a bag of white cheddar popcorn, because that's the only dessert that my spouse will let me eat, as I watched the full-length documentary of Chasing Happiness, which covers the life of what many call the Joe Bros. That's right. If we have a problem with this, I'm going to need you to sue me. Okay, this is just my life. I'm trying to tell you what's happening. Now, if you've never heard of the Jonas Brothers before, do not worry, because there's still time to watch it after you're done reading Michelle Obama's biography. No, I'm just kidding. That one's way more important this than this, but uh, this should be somewhere on your list. They're like the equivalent of previous generations, boy bands of like NSYNC or New Kids on the Block, whoever they are. They are what One Direction tried to be, but never could be. That's another way of saying it. That's right. Shots fired to all One Direction fans. But the most fascinating thing about this group is that they did what every boy band has ever done. They broke up at one point, and now they've gotten back together, and they're actually hitting a stride with a lot of success. Some would actually say their success is just as good or even better. But that's not what intrigues me about them. What started as a documentary that was meant to just feed my feelings quickly became a documentary that put me deeper into my feelings. If you're not tracking with what I'm saying so far, I know Drake and Kiki understand what it means to be in my feelings. So um, just hold on and maybe we'll get there. Their origin story in the documentary kind of left me haunted, though, mainly because the experience of their agent, 
who they wouldn't have just called their agent, they would have called him dad. Their father from an early age actually knew that there was something special about the three boys and wanted their dream to be artists to come alive. So much so that he actually maxed out every credit card and spent his life savings of $90,000 just for the boys to record an album, which ultimately, that first time, it fell through. The most haunting part of the story, though, is the cost that it took of the entire family. As the documentary unfolded, and as I kept eating my cheddar popcorn, I noticed something about all the early footage of the boys as they were discovering and displaying their skills in music. All of their home videos were happening not on a stage or in a studio, but in a church. That's right, they were sons of a pastor. It was inside four church walls that the boys discovered their skills, their gifts, and their energy to make music together. And as their story progressed, though, the worst started to come about with the people who also dwelled in those four walls. To put it simply, as the boys and their dream started to come to life, the church began to perceive it as its greatest nightmare coming to life. What was once potential started to become a problem. What was once dreams started to be labeled as distractions, and before the family could even figure everything out of the success that was coming, the church pushed them out the door because of the son's secular music. The people who they had invested in no longer wanted to invest in them. Then Joe, who I think is one of the most attractive guys in the group, said these haunting words walking around his hometown, reflecting on it eight years later. There are two places that I'm not allowed to go in my hometown, where I'm not allowed. Our house and our church, each two doors down from one another. That's what did it in. One statement like that can put me completely in my feelings as someone who's in somewhat of the same line of work. Now, when I talk about line of work, I'm talking about being a pastor, um, not being on a boy band side, although that's just what my Thursday nights are consumed about. Now, granted, this could be a skewed story which many church stories sometimes tend to do. Uh, I also sense a decent amount of church burn as they tell it in resentment, and sometimes resentment doesn't help us present all of the facts. But the experience at its core still leaves me haunted in my line of profession. I truly do believe that the local church is one of the best places to discover the magnitude of someone's potential. And at the core of my life, I feel like my purpose and my value statement has been helping create room for people to discover their potential. And there is nothing that hurts me more than when a room that was once available to someone is no longer available to them. And the only worse thing than that is not having room for any person to begin with. I can only imagine how it may have played out different if the response would have been different when navigating the boys and their potential. What could this road have looked like if they would have been willing to stay and they would have been able to be in the same place where they sung their very first song? It's documentaries like these that leave me haunted of what will never be when we don't make room.
Now, let's make some room for God's box in this conversation. While we're on the subject of church, let's talk about the story that inspired the soil of the faith of the Jonas brothers in the first place. The story of Israel is the soil in which Christianity has actually grown out of. Within the stories of the Jewish faith is a book called Exodus, and this book basically talks about the people of God trying to find their own room in the world. And there are these desert stories that contain accounts how the people of God didn't just carry God in their hearts, but they also physically carried around God with them as they walked around the desert. So how did this group carry this invisible God around with them, you may ask? And the answer is basically simple, a box. Now, this wasn't just any type of Amazon Prime box, though. You just got to keep that in mind. It was God's box. And just to make it a two-for-one, just like an Academy commercial, the box was surrounded basically by this massive tent that they would set up everywhere where they would set up camp. Yes, for you geeks out there, yes, we are talking about the Ark of the Covenant and the Tabernacle. What's interesting about the Exodus story, though, is how this book in the Bible makes room to talk about this dwelling place of God. In this ancient document that contains around 40 chapters, 13 of the 40 chapters take up room talking about the box and this tent of God. In the midst of all these stories to be told within this massive story, it takes time to talk about the details, how it was built, what its dimensions are, what the design was, and ready for an even deeper dive. Stories like this one tend to involve a lot of official and well-known roles like priests and leaders and important people that traditionally everyone would recognize, okay, those people have a place in the story. But in the book of Exodus, chapter 31, you'll even find it's making room to talk about an artist by the name of Bezalel, who helped not only make it, but design that box and the tent beautifully. The book of Exodus basically takes time to talk about an artist. A guy whose only role is to make everything aesthetically pleasing and beautiful. Laced throughout the story is some form of the word skillful used over like 27 times when sharing about how this small group of people are supposed to represent God in the world. What's my point? Let me try to make it in a couple statements. God loves details. God loves artists. God loves people who simply exist to make the world beautiful. God loves and furnishes humanity with skills to make the world beautiful. And although God does not like to be put in a box, God will work outside of the box to use unique people with unique skill sets. Whether we as a community deem them as valuable skills or not. And why does God love for us to use the skills that doesn't even seem religiously or significant? Because God loves anything that creates beauty in the world. It's at the core of who God is and what God does, creates. And at your core, you have the skills to do what God does as well create. In a God-like but humanity-limited way, you are filled with skills in which you can create worlds and fill the world with beauty. How do we tap into this? Well, that gets at kind of the core of what this space is, of onto something and what it's about. The hope that I've had for this project and will continue will be providing an online space for you to be able to tap into the ways that you can create in this world. 
a space where you can discover what skills and driven deep down at your core is in you, a space where you can be able to hone in the skill sets that you found and figure out what you're going to do with the room that's been given to you on this world for a short amount of time. Now, it's worth noting, there's a lot we don't know about God, which makes God extremely complex. And the bottom line is that if God is complex, that means we're also complex as well. Each of us have a different way of creating in the world. Your creation, your skill set, your contribution to the world may involve different things. For some, it's crafting ideas. For others, it's solving problems. Others, it's writing songs, painting murals, constructing spaces, drawing, sketching, designing, organizing. In your lifetime, you may create a business, a home, meals, or stories for other people. But one thing is true with your life. If you lean into your potential, you'll get the opportunity to create. And life is too short to allow the walls of life to stop you from creating, which means it's time to talk about bottoms. So now we've kind of hit the point in the podcast where uh, if you're listening out loud, it's time to grab some headphones. Because on this podcast, we're going to do what is kind of always a legacy of talk about things that out of context will definitely take down your street cred if someone else hears you playing this podcast. So You may want to make that happen. Let's throw in some earbuds because we're about to talk about your butt. So if you haven't already experienced this in life, uh, or let alone the first third of life, let me say it right here. It's impossible to go throughout life without being kicked in the butt at some point or another. Brene Brown has this really great philosophy about being kicked in the butt. In a nutshell, she says that when you're creating or doing anything worthwhile, it's a matter of not opening yourself up to the possibility of failure, but inviting failure to enter your life if you're going to create something. Creating in the world is not about if you get kicked in the butt, but it is about when you will get kicked in the butt if you're wanting to create or do something significant in life. This experience and truism has been tested and proven over generations. There are many walls that inevitably will kick us in the behind at some point or another. So what do we do to prepare for them? We do what scientists have simply said about our butts all along. We need to cultivate a well-rounded fanny for life. That's right. Think about it this way. Have you ever thought about why we think about our bottoms? let alone why we find them to be attractive, which, by the way, come on, are you trying to tell me that you have never noticed anyone's butt, not even your own? I was listening to a health podcast, and yeah, trust me, I know I'm just as shocked as you are that I'm listening to one, but I heard one doctor describe the tale of our behinds kind of in this way. He unpacked that our butts are basically a hinge point for our entire body that actually play a role in the different movements and functions within our entire body. There's a reason in the past that there has always been an interest in people's butts. A healthy butt equals a well-rounded person. That's a Zanism, just to get that out there. In our hunting and gathering days, people would find a healthy butt attractive because anatomically it actually communicated that they were a strong and sustainable person. They were one that could defend for themselves. They were one that were functioning in all the way. They were ones that were able to contribute. 
Now let's try to translate this illustration before it gets away from us, even though some of you are thinking this has already gone way too far. How do you prepare for the first third of life and all that it brings and all the walls in which you will face? The way we do it is we find the right space to be able to strengthen and become well-rounded people. A well-rounded life where you get to use your skill set and create in the world begins with the same practice that you need for a really healthy hindquarter. You stretch yourself and you use your full range of motion in appropriate and exercise ways for you to be able to be strengthened. Bottom line, find a place that will make room for you to be able to exercise your full range of motion and skill set, even if those skills are still very raw, very new, or if they've already started to become honed in. I encounter a lot of young adults working towards their 30s who feel stuck in either an entry-level position or a town that they don't care to be in, or vice versa, I'll find, I'll find some that are in scenarios where they have multiple options and they don't know which one is the next step or the right step. And one of the ways I lean into this principle is by emphasizing the need to focus more on where you are than what you're doing. One of the ways we strengthen ourselves is we focus in the first third of life on where more than what. Here's a series of questions that will help you evaluate this place uh, you are in or the options that you're looking ahead. When you think about where is your next space or where is your current space that you're in to be able to create, to develop your skill set? What if you ask a couple questions like this? Are there opportunities here or there for me to try out different skills that I think I'm onto? Do you have a cheer section of people who get the dream and trajectory that you are wanting to go on to create something in the world? And finally, is where you are or is where the opportunity you're looking for, does it have room for you to be able to hone in your skill set and experiment in safe ways to be able to strengthen yourself? Does it provide you a place to be able to get kicked in the butt every once in a while? Because sometimes when we get kicked in the butt, we think we've gone the wrong direction when actually being kicked in the butt is something that's good for us. If so, you have found in these questions, if you answer yes, you've discovered the right place, a place for you to strengthen, a place for you to develop the God-given skill set that you have. But if you answer no, then maybe it's time to switch up something. In my life, I've had several opportunities come my way just with the opportunity in the first third of life for me to shift my direction or shift places or trajectory. But I've always come back to the principle of where more than what. Is where I am a place that's going to help me with my skill set more than the focus of, am I doing exactly what I get to do? Because the thing that we miss in the first third is where you are as we're developing is super crucial because culture and environment in places that are safe for us to be able to grow our strengths is so crucial because it helps us prepare for the season of life when we do get the opportunity, if we get the opportunity, to be able to do the what that we've been wanting to do in our lives so often. So with a lot of things that have come my direction, I simply ask myself, do I find the person that I work for and the people I work beside 
as an environment where growth is cultivated in and through me. And that's one of the ways that I make sure that I focus on the where more than I do the what while I'm in the first third of season of life. One of the roughest things we can do in life is become impatient and play into kind of the millennial stat that's going on of millennials or Generation Z changing the course of life every couple of months. There are times to go, but there are also times to stay. When we find a place that makes room for us, we need to let time and experience do the work of strengthening us. And in the midst of that, we may find that we're on to the potential that's happening in our lives. We need to be able to risk. We need to be able to build stronger tushies. Don't tweet that. We need to be able to gain experiences. We need to be able to exercise our skills. So the question is, have you found room for you yet? If you're someone who controls environments, maybe the question needs to be flipped. Are you making room for others and their skill sets? Others and their potential? I'll leave you with this. One of the last lines in the Jonas Brother documentary that I remember before I passed out after eating so much popcorn is that all three of them talked about the feeling of finally figuring out how they were onto something with their music. One of the ways that they described it is when they got to the place in their journey where they stood up on a stage and they encountered the experience of singing out their lyrics and their songs, which really are wrapped in their dreams, and having a crowd of people be able to sing their lyrics back to them. This is what we're going for. To be able to lean into the world and create in a world in such a way that by the time we're at our final breath in life, people will be able to sing and carry on the song that we started with our own lives. Maybe a life goal would be this. Can you create, can you sing in such a way that by the time of the end of your life, are there others to be able to repeat back your song and repeat the ways that you've created even in the future? If I could share one thing with you, just be patient. Don't pull out the plant every five minutes to evaluate if you're growing or not. Find your room, find your space, find where there's room for you to be able to be patient and keep practicing the ways that you want to create in the world. And you know what? Let the world kick you in the butt a couple times. Because trust me, process of strengthening and honing and discovering is a journey worth living into and a journey that we all need room for. And I have a hunch that if we do it, we'll be glad that we kept creating. Because in the midst of creating, we may find that not only ourselves, but also God is onto something. Friends, thanks for listening to the fourth uh, episode of this series. There's going to be some interviews coming up in which I'll talk about those before those release, but I'd really love to know feedback. Keep the uh, emails coming. Those have been extremely helpful just on different ideas. Uh, and if you have any ideas for the podcast of like, hey, I heard you talk about this in the second one, and I would really love for you to flesh that idea out more, or I've got more questions with it. Or if you just want to send me an email and be like, please never talk about bottoms again in a podcast, then all of that is very much welcome. So until next time, friends, may you remember that you are on to something.